This is a bonus Sunshine Economy podcast from WLRN. Thanks for finding it. I'm Tom Hudson. While you're here, please hit subscribe. Oil and natural gas are playing central roles in Russia's war in Ukraine, specifically Russia's own oil and natural gas. Environmentalist and climate activist Bill McKibben says the war is funded by fossil fuels, on the Russian side at least, yet he thinks the violence could be a turning point in how the world approaches fossil fuels. We spoke with McKibben in March when he was in South Florida for the Festival of the Arts POCA. Are efforts to address climate change a casualty in this Russia war in Ukraine? No, I think if anything, it's a possibility for the opposite, Tom. We started to understand when Vladimir Putin invaded the Ukraine that this was not a war for fossil fuel, the way that perhaps some of our Mideast adventures have been, but it was a war about fossil fuel. Uh, Vladimir Putin can only mount a huge army because of fossil fuel. The Russian economy produces almost nothing else. If you don't believe me, look around your house and try to find something from Russia that you could throw out or burn or boycott, unless you've got an old bottle of Stoliknaya in the back of your liquor cabinet, there's nothing. I mean, they just, all they do is oil and gas, 60% of their export earnings. That's what built that army. Not only that, his major weapon is his control of energy. That's how he's kept Europe cowering for decades as he's invaded Georgia and next Crimea, done all the other nasty stuff that he's done. Uh, He just keeps saying, well, if you say anything, I'll shut off the gas and Germany shuts up. Well, this time the world saw what was going on and Germany didn't shut up. Germany said, we're gonna be entirely on renewable energy by 2035 or earlier, so you no longer have any control over us. Joe Biden didn't blink either. He said, we're going to stop buying Russian uh, oil. And as he said it, he said, and let's hope that he means it, he said, this means we're going to have to accelerate clean energy rapidly. The question is, of course, did we take this opportunity to do what the oil industry wants us to do, which is just pump some more oil? Or did we take this opportunity to understand decisively that fossil fuel lies behind our geopolitical problems and our physical problems as a planet. And if we do that, then this could be a remarkable turning point. You've described Russia's war as a war underwritten by oil and gas, as you just described here with us now. What signs are you looking for later this year in the years to come to tell you that this is a turning point in how particularly the developed world approaches foreign fossil fuel. Here's one of the tells, I think. It's something I started writing about back in February. We'll either see it happening or not. The U.S. could do what we did at the outbreak of World War II. Historians among your audience will remember that before we actually entered the war, it was a period of a couple of years when we did this thing called Lend-Lease. And we were sending supplies of all kinds off to Europe as our contribution. But not military supplies back then. It was humanitarian supplies. Mostly not, mostly humanitarian supplies. We were ships and things too, though. But here, in this case, what we need to be sending is clean tech. 
the, I, I wrote a piece called Heat Pumps for Peace and Freedom. The heat pump is this you know, relatively new but incredibly easy piece of technology. It's basically a reversible air conditioner. It runs on electricity. It takes the ambient heat in the air and uses it to you know, heat your home. And they're very, very efficient. And if we installed them in half the homes in Europe in the next six months, well, Vladimir Putin would have no purchase over Western Europe by next November when the cold starts to come. Is it possible for us to do that? It was possible once. I mean, we built in the year before our entry into World War II, we built the single most impressive industrial arsenal that there ever was. We converted most of the upper Midwest into producing tanks and planes and ships. As a result, we won the war. In this case, President Biden could invoke the Defense Production Act, and as he did, and President Trump did with vaccines, and in this case, use it to tell carrier and train and a few other big manufacturers who have spare capacity to start producing heat pumps to ship to Europe. That's the kind of thinking that we might see coming out of this. And if we do, it'll be the tell that we've decided to make a decisive turn here. Carrier and train are manufacturers of air conditioning. Air conditioners, exactly right. And and the point is, Tom, that you know we're not talking about building you know incredibly complicated, difficult things anymore. In the last ten years, the price of a solar panel, the price of a wind turbine, the price of a battery to store the power they produce has come down ninety percent. This is the cheapest power in the world. So there's no longer a technological or economic obstacle in the way. What there is is inertia. We have everybody already has a gas furnace installed in their house or a gas car in the driveway. And there's extraordinary vested interest. The fossil fuel industry has huge political power, which they've it's dwindling, but it's still just enough. As you know, uh, they, you know, Joe Manchin managed to block. So far, President Biden's climate plan, Build Back Better. He's the senator from West Virginia, a Democrat yeah, from West Virginia. Yeah, the senator from West Virginia. And he's also the guy who took more money from the fossil fuel industry than anybody else in Washington. Not an easy sweepstakes to win, but you know the return on investment for big oil in buying Joe Manchin has been enormous. Oil and fossil fuel is the incumbent energy source in the United States. There have been those that have argued Russia's war in Ukraine demands more domestic exploration and production for sources of oil and natural gas to continue to ensure that the United States is energy independent. How do you respond to those calls? A, they just continue to build out a world that, because it's dependent on fossil fuel, privileges autocrats like Putin or the king of Saudi Arabia or the government of Venezuela or on and on and on. Um, Look, because fossil fuel is concentrated in a few places, the people who control it are always going to be more powerful than they deserve. No one pays attention to the king of Saudi Arabia because he's got good ideas about the world. He cuts people's heads off with a sword when he doesn't like them, okay? We pay attention to him only because he has a lot of oil under his sand. The good news about sun and wind is there's some of it everywhere. In fact, in Florida, there's a ton of it. So nobody gets to control the destiny of states in quite that way. 
there's a wrinkle here, though, Bill, a little bit. Yes, the resource, the sun and the wind can be ubiquitous in some places, but the technology, particularly to be able to store that energy, I'm thinking primarily of batteries, for instance, and the use of the mineral nickel, which is mined in Russia and China and, and other developing countries, other locations that uh, don't have necessarily friendly countries, friendly governments to uh, democracies. That's true. As with all commodities, some of it in places where with people we don't like. The, the good news is that you need a lot less of it than you do of fossil fuel. Here's the thing that people often, I think, have trouble remembering. So say you need cobalt or lithium or nickel in order to make a solar panel or a battery. Once you've built the one solar panel and stuck it on your roof or wherever it is you're gonna stick it, then for the next 25 or 30 years, the energy gets delivered every morning when the sun rises above the horizon. In our current paradigm, instead you have to go out and dig the stuff up over and over and over again. And here's a way to picture that. 40% of all the ships on the ocean are just carrying fossil fuel around the planet. <laughs> That's remarkable to think that in the course of a few years, we could get rid of that, you know? I mean, the other way to think about it, Tom, is at the moment we live in a world and we have for many, many thousands of years where combustion, burning things, setting them on fire is the most uh, typical of human activities. Uh, it's really what helped define us along with language as a people. But we're at the moment when we do not need to do that any longer. We are at the moment, and it could happen in a matter of a decade, where we basically could end large-scale combustion on planet Earth and rely instead on the fact that the good Lord installed a large ball of burning gas 93 million miles away, hung it in the sky. We know how to make use of it. And we know, we understand better now, even than we did a year ago, why that would be a good idea. Uh, Vladimir Putin's invasion was a reminder that in many ways, fossil fuel is energy from hell, and it's time to look towards heaven. That's environmentalist and climate activist Bill McKibben. You're listening to a bonus Sunshine Economy podcast from WLRN. Thanks for supporting public broadcasting.